You don't have to record right away. You can start recording. All right, everyone. Welcome. We're going to get started real quick. Thank you so much for being here with us. One, two. One, two, one, two. All right. Mon de Lapel. Praise God. Two. All right. It's a joy to be with you. Grace and peace. All right. Praise God. Thank you. So again, thank you for coming out. Um, real quickly, if you have a cell phone, please put it on uh, silent if you can, just in case. Uh, it could be distracting. Just and also, if you have a whack ringtone, that wouldn't be good as well. Uh, you will be clowned for months if that takes place. So just make sure you take care of that. If you have little ones too, we do have a mom's room up there where you can take your little one if they need to play or um, you know just have and then you can also hear the word or if you're a nursing mother we do have a room up there for you we do have water up there for you um, and our ushers are more than able to help you out we do have a kids uh, ministry downstairs uh, that could help you out so yeah just make sure if you have little ones that you know uh, you have them with you and if you know we, we do have a space for you if uh, you desire to use it as well um, yeah, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, we had dinner with uh, West, <coughs> excuse me, Westminster's uh, leaders. So we had five of our couples and five of their couples getting together. And we had, <coughs> excuse me, can I get water? Uh, we had Flora's Restaurant uh, cook for us, man. It was amazing. If you don't know about Flora's Restaurant, go to floresrestaurant.com. For those of you online, you need to check it out. Um, but... We ate to the glory of God, and it, was <laughs> and it was very good. Thank you, brother. And um, just to let you know that we're just building relationship with them. They're an amazing church, and thank God that they connected with us, and uh, they're just wanting to build relationship with us. You know, they realize uh, their limitations. As every church has limitations. They want to partner with us to reach our community here in the city of Lancaster. So that's an honorable charge. And I'm telling you, like to have a church like Westminster PCA, that's an honor. You know, they're solid in their theology. We might disagree on a couple things. And I know some of y'all watching, are, you, know, you know what I mean. But um, even with the differences, saints, we have a family outside of this church building. So let us not forget that. And so that was an honor and a privilege to serve and, and love on them and them loving on us. It's a privilege. As uh, Wayne already said, we're in the Gospel of Luke today. So if you can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to go through verses 5 through 25 today. 5 through 25 is our text. And I do have a title for this message. Um, we're going to title our message, our messages through the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts as we continue. The title is Righteous, Blameless, and Flawed. Righteous, Blameless, and Flawed is our title. Luke 1, chapter 5, verses, uh, Luke chapter 1, 
verses 5 to 25. All right. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old. I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his own. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you? We need you. We need you today, Father. We need you to hear the word. We need you to want the word. We need you, Father, to open our eyes. And so, Lord, I pray that in the listening and in the preaching of your word, that you will be glorified. That it will be, that we would decrease as you increase today. So Father, help us. Help us to yearn for you, to desire you, to eat bread, to hunger and thirst after righteousness today. And we know that we will be satisfied. And so Father, help us to change. Help us to be aware of what your word has to say today. To you be the glory. And so we love you and we thank you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. You are our water in the desert, Father. We need you today. Be with us. Help us not to just hear again and do the same again. Help us to be changed. We need you, Lord. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Righteous before God does not mean sinless before God. There was only one who was without sin. His name was Jesus. I don't know if you heard of him, but there was one without sin, and his name was Jesus Christ. And what we see in Scripture are examples of people, actually, that were considered men and women of the faith who persevered and were noted as being in right standing with God. And actually, the Bible says they were blameless before others, right? So a couple examples. We have Noah in Genesis 6, 9, who was considered a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and one who walked with God. Job, from the land of Uz, was blameless and upright. He feared God, and actually it says he turned from evil. You see that in Job 1.1. So these are a few examples of men that were found to be blameless, but when you continue to read this story, you see fault. Does that sound familiar? Right standing with God does not guarantee us a life free from falling short. What it means is that God is favorable in spite of us. To God be the glory. You know, Noah and Job really embodied the human, you know, experience. They're considered righteous, blameless, righteous before God, blameless before others. But then Noah shames himself. Job finds himself complaining. But in spite of that, God is still good to them and to us. See, when God has a plan, he will bring it to pass. Even when using us, who are in right standing with him, even with flaws and weaknesses, God will accomplish his plan and he'll use you in the process. God will use your flaws, your weaknesses, as we used to say, your jacked upness. He'll use the cracks and faults of your life. He'll use the seasons of destruction, the seasons of fruitfulness, the seasons of dryness, the good times, the bad times. God will use it all to accomplish his purpose. Is this encouraging to you? Those of you with some jack upness today. So uh, for, for some of y'all who've had seasons in your life of struggle, of pain, of disobedience, God will use it. And he'll use it for his glory and to accomplish his purpose. No one can thwart the hand of God. No one can tell God, hey, I'm going to do this <laughs> like you're God. God has a funny way to show you that he's God. And he will accomplish his purpose, saints. He'll even use times of maybe struggling with belief to purify you, to get you to a place of belief. The tools of God, we don't tell God what to use. He uses, he has tools that he uses. Satan is just, you know, a dog on a leash to God. We've given Satan too much credit. 
but Satan is used by God for his ultimate purpose. Everything is used for God for his ultimate purpose. And the same it is for today in our passage. Our passage today has another example of God using righteous and blameless people who are favored by him but are flawed. So our outline for today for you note takers Point number one, we will see the parents of John in verses 5 through 7. The parents of John, verses 5 through 7. Second point, the announcement of John, verses 8 through 13. The announcement of John, verses 8 through 13. Third point, the response to John, 18 through 23. The response to John, 18 through 23. And our last point, point number four, the birth of John, verses 24 25. Verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Josephus, I will encourage you to read him. He's a Jewish historian from the first century. He referred to Herod as Herod the Great. We're in point number one. The great title probably came from the fact that he was the oldest son of his father. Also, Herod was good at politics. He was a great soldier, speaker, known for building many projects that were seen in the time of Jesus, including the temple that we're reading about today. So there are four different Herods in the New Testament scriptures. The Herod mentioned here in Luke is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the son of a high-ranking official in the Hasmonean dynasty, uh, which I learned much about in seminary recently which was ruling in Palestine as an independent kingdom. I learned that he was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. And intermarriages used to happen between Jews and Edomites. And Herod actually was one who was an Edomite that claimed to be a Jew, but not a practicing one. But later uh, in his kingdom, he was given the responsibility of conquering Judea, which he did in three years. This was the ruler in the time that Luke is referencing here. And Luke points out that there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, this is the only mention of the uh, father of John in the Gospels, the father of John the Baptist. He was of the division or group of class of Abijah or Abijah, the priest. Now, Abijah was the eighth in order of the priests who were arranged by David back in the day for ministering at the tabernacle or temple. You find that in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. Zechariah was a priest in our text. Now, a priest was one who performed religious duties on behalf of others. Okay, So Zechariah had access to the temple that others did not. So he must have been a very well-studied man. He knew the scriptures. He had to know exactly how to involve himself in rituals where men had to appear before God on behalf of others. We'll talk about this later. Then his lineage is tied to Abijah the priest during the time of David, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Any Elizabeth in the house? Anybody? Yeah, no doubt. Dope name. It's not about you, sis, but you know. It's a beautiful name. A priest was actually only supposed to marry a virgin of Israel, and it was preferable to marry a daughter of a priest. So that's why Zechariah most likely married Elizabeth. 
Aaron was the brother of Moses and was the first high priest of Israel, so her lineage was honorable, especially for Zechariah. Her lineage went back to Aaron. In verse 6, he gives us insight as to their character. Luke gives us what they were like, what Zechariah and Elizabeth were like. In verse 6, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So they were just and in proper standing with God, which would have meant that they had faith in God and favor with God. So in the sight or in the presence of God, they were considered just and in good standing. But not only did they have a noble lineage to priests, but their lives were actually acceptable to God, respected. Luke is giving us a clear picture of how faithful they were. So they weren't reckless people or dubious people. They had knowledge of what was important to God, and they lived it out. So Luke not only tells us that they were walking in right standing with God, he also mentions that they were blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Blameless here doesn't mean walking perfectly, without sin, but it means that they lived a life that others could see without blame. I want to live like that. Sadly, that's not the case. Now, I'm not saying I'm wilding, but if you walk close enough to me, you will see flaws. And that's why people like to come to church and bounce, go home. They don't like people up in their business because you will see flaws in people's lives. But this word blameless, you have to think in terms more of a horizontal description here, right? Horizontal meaning people, not vertical meaning God. Horizontally speaking, they were blameless when it comes to God's commands. They were above reproach. They walked in the commandments and statutes of the Lord so much that before others, they will be called blameless without fault. So this is who the parents of John were. They loved the Lord their God, they lived above reproach, and they knew and cherished God so much that their faith in God was counted as righteous before him. We've often talked about Mary's virtues, which is correct to point out. Along with Mary, we have Elizabeth also, with her husband Zechariah, who were righteous before God and blameless. So I find it interesting that Luke not only mentions commandments, but he included statutes as well. Statutes speak of the reason for obeying commandments. They knew why they were following the commandments of God. They would have been in step with what Jesus said to do. That's what we're going through in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So righteous before God and blameless before men. But you also see in verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. I like the word advanced in years. I was thinking about that when I was reading this. Yeah, like I'm more advanced than some of you young people. It's very biblical to say. I'm going to run with that. So they were older, and you know, to kind of like tell you what advanced in years means, but they also found themselves barren. Barrenness was viewed in a way that brought shame upon the family. In biblical times, it was seen as shameful due to the inability to continue the lineage and legacy of a family. Remember the, mother, the, the mothers of the Jews, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, you remember them? They were barren. 
But what did God do? He intervened and he gave them child, right? So that's a sign of favor with God when, there's, when someone's barren and then gives birth. So giving birth was culturally patriotic in that time. It brought pride and rejoicing to a family, which then would be for their nation. Sad how that actually changed today. The world thinks that giving birth is a problem. Barrenness was used by God in the Old Testament to speak of judgment when dealing with Israel. But I want to be pastoral here. Because I know there's maybe some couples, I know some couples who aren't able to have child. Okay, so what I want to say is, and I've met couples that aren't able, they get married and they're devastated. I, we can't have children. Two things could happen that I've seen. Number one, I remember a couple who were unable to have child. The doctor said there's no way you're going to have a child. They have three kids now. They have three kids. Prove the doctors wrong, because God could do whatever he wants. He's sovereign and in control. But it was a challenge. Leah was born, I think, what, four and a half, five months? Something like that. She, she looked like she could fit on, in my hand. They had all sorts of things on her. She looked transparent. And we all were believing. And I remember we playing a worship song 24-7 to her. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. And we all were praying. She got bigger, bigger, bigger. And all of a sudden, she's walking around in my, messing with my stuff. Like, girl, you better, you know what I mean? God can do that. So have faith that that's you here today. God can do that. But if he doesn't, We have adoption. Now, adoption, okay, is not a second thing to actually giving birth. Because Romans talks about us being adopted into Christ. So it's not this less than thing. Adoption brought us into the kingdom of God. Adoption is beautiful. It's a beautiful display of actually God taking us into family, considering us his own. And so for those of you couples who can't have child, consider adoption. It's a beautiful thing before the Lord. So this couple here, not only were they barren, but they were advanced in age. And advanced simply means that they were older. But notice that they were still righteous before God. They had faith in God. They were blameless even with an issue that culturally was looked down on, like barrenness. At this point, they were not looking to have child. They accepted the, the issue and their age, and they maintained a way of living that brought glory to God. But God has something for them, and I believe for us today. Point number two, the announcement of John. Now, it says in verse 8, Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, if you remember, in verse 5, it spoke of Zechariah as of the division of Abijah. So at the time of Zechariah, it was actually said that there were thousands of priests in his time. Now, that's debatable. But even if there were hundreds of priests, that's a lot, right? So uh, the priests were actually divided by lineage and were given turns 
to serve in the temple. One of those responsibilities was to burn incense day and night in the temple. In verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, it says, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So by Lot, Zechariah was chosen to burn incense in the temple. And then for Zechariah, I read a commentary, because of the hundreds or possibly thousands of priests that were there, for Zechariah, this was a special moment. Not just because burning incense was an honorable work before the Lord, but also because there were so many priests and God decided to choose him. In fact, with the amount of priests involved, it may have been actually once in a lifetime that a priest would do this. One commentary said that it may have been the most memorable moment in the life of Zechariah. So this duty comes from Aaron the priest who was told to burn incense on the altar each morning, day and night, every day, as a regular offering to the Lord. And for reference, you can find that in Exodus 30, verses 7 through 8. At the moment the incense was offered this time, it will be called the hour of incense established by Aaron. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So this was a special moment. The people outside uh, were there and the priests were inside giving incense on the altar. Verse 11, it says, and there appeared to him an angel there while he was doing his duty standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So remember who Zechariah was. He was an honorable man. He was righteous before God. He walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Remember that. What should have been the response? What would be the response of someone who was righteous and considered blameless before others? Verse 12 Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He got shook. Uh, man, listen, I wasn't going to go here, but something that gets under my skin is when you have these people saying, I want to see you, I, you know, and they talk about angel feathers in their church, how they saw an angel and they got excited. Anytime I seen people see an angel, fear fell upon them. So I don't want to hear that nonsense. But notice here, a man righteous before God, blameless before others, was troubled. He was troubled because he was a man. He saw an angel. It had no bearing on his standing with God. It was just a reality. Anyone would be troubled if they saw an angel. So this wasn't a lack of faith, but it's a reaction, right, to something awesome, something amazing, something you never saw before. So Zechariah was disturbed. He was fearful, emotionally in turmoil. That's what trouble means, which is understandable, being that he saw an angel before him. So if a man who was righteous before God and blameless before others was that troubled at the sight of an angel, can you imagine God? Isaiah was right to say, woe is me. I wonder sometimes about people who say, I want to see you. Back up a little bit. I do agree with that. I want to see my God. I too want to see God, but we need to unpack what that means. 
If Zechariah felt troubled at the sight of an angel, imagine seeing the uncreated creator of the universe. The reason why you can't see him today is because you drop dead, you obliterate yourself, you will be out of existence in a second at the sheer awesomeness of his holiness. Zachariah's reaction is understandable. It's a normal reaction. We all would have done the same. But thankfully, the angel sought to help him by telling him not to be afraid. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So remember that they're advanced in years. Elizabeth was barren from what this verse tells us. They were actually praying for a child. They prayed for a child and they got older to the point where they were then like, well, I guess this isn't it. So their prayers have been heard by God and God responded to the cries of having a child. They may have done this while they were younger, praying for a child. It may have been a prayer that was prayed a long time ago in their time. Before the angel came here, the angel told Zechariah that Elizabeth will bear him a son and his name will be John. But then in verse 14, he says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So not only will Zechariah and Elizabeth have joy and gladness, but many will rejoice. Others will rejoice. This isn't just a family event. This is going to affect many other people. So the angel continues actually with five descriptions of who John would be in verses 15 through 17 of our text. Five descriptions. Number one, he will be great before the Lord. Jesus testified to his greatness later in Luke 7 where he said in verse 28, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. So John is the man. John is greater than everyone born of a woman. So what makes John greater than everybody else? Simply, John rolled the red carpet for his savior. He got to see who the prophets talked about. His greatness, listen, is tied to his witness. His greatness is tied to his witness, to knowing his place. People often try to measure greatness by what they can achieve, by the crowds they can draw, by the money they have. That wasn't the case here. John's greatness didn't come because the crowds came to him. His greatness was tied to his witness, to him knowing his place. John knew his place. He was only a forerunner, he said. He was to lay out the red carpet for Jesus. He didn't complain about not being first. He actually proclaimed that Jesus was greater. See, John didn't want to exalt himself. Jesus did actually exalt him by calling him greater than those born of a woman. That's a good lesson for us. When you seek to be exalted, you will be humbled. But when Christ exalts us, the automatic reaction to that is worship and thanksgiving and praise. John's greatness before the Lord wouldn't look like greatness before man. It didn't mean that John was first in the kingdom, actually. In fact, when we finish Luke 7, 28, it says, I tell you, among those born of a woman, none is greater than John. Then he says, 
Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. He's talking about you and me. It's not that he is greater than Christ. We see that here. But his greatness came from his witness. He will be great before the Lord. Number two, he must not drink wine or strong drink. This was an instruction to raise John as a Nazarite with the Nazarite vow. Leviticus 10.9 says, give instructions to those who called to serve in the tent of meeting. Like It gives instruction, actually, to those who, called serve, who are called to serve in the tent of meeting. In number six, also, you see specific instructions about the Nazarite vow. So to put it briefly, a Nazarite vow was a vow of consecration, of separation from specific things that God instructed so that the man or the woman will live holy, consecrated, a distinct life, focused on God. Number three, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Luke uh, 1, 41, we see this happening where it says, And when Elizabeth heard of the greeting of Mary, the baby, John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is another example of the sovereignty of God and salvation. God didn't wait for John to be born to give him the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit already in the womb. Well, I thought you were supposed to confess first, and then he comes in. No, God gives the Holy Spirit to whomever he wills. Get that straight. I think it's the same, even when we're adults. I wasn't seeking God. You weren't seeking God. He found you. He found you, he rescued you, and then he put his Holy Spirit in you. He saves you. That's what he does. I was fine in the world with my sin. I was chilling. I was smoking. I was good. I thought I was good. But he saw that I needed him. See, God doesn't wait and be like, let me see what they're going to do. No. Just like John, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to change your life. And I'm going to keep you. That's what God does. It's amazing how not even a word comes from John's mouth yet. He's not even outside of the womb, yet the Holy Spirit is given to him. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning that John will be completely full, completely filled. John will be filled with the third person of the Trinity. This again highlights for us that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit were actually working together in the Incarnation. You know, some people have this view of oneness theology that believe that, you know, God is one person manifesting himself in three different ways. But we see in the incarnation here the Holy Spirit working in John while Jesus is going to be born in Mary. And you see throughout the Gospel of Luke the work of the Holy Spirit constantly. At the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on him. After Jesus was baptized in John 4, 1, it tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, John 4, 14. Jesus, in chapter 4, spoke of the Spirit of the Lord who will anoint the promised servant of Isaiah, verse 18 of chapter 4. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit as God's gift to believers. 
And he also warned of blaspheming the Holy Spirit in John 12. So you're going to see the Holy Spirit at work in the Gospel of Luke blatantly and also in Acts, which really proves again that the Holy Spirit and Jesus aren't the same person. They are distinct. John is just the beginning where we see the Holy Spirit working for John. It will be lifelong that the Holy Spirit filled him, even from the beginning in his mother's womb. Number four, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Luke is recording something specific here from the Old Testament. John would be one to turn many of the children to Israel. But when John the Baptist began his ministry, do you know it wasn't just the people of Israel that he drew? There were also soldiers in Luke 3.14 that came to him. Soldiers, meaning Roman soldiers, came to repent. So John was preparing the way, preparing the people. And preparation meant that he would turn children of Israel or those who were listening to him to the Lord their God. He will turn many children to Israel, or many children uh, of Israel to the Lord their God. Also soldiers. Also even like, you know, what Jesus did in in John chapter 3, which we see actually uh, Nicodemus later at the burial of Christ, I believe even religious people came to him as well. The lasting description, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is what the return of Elijah meant, that Elijah would come. Matthew 17, 11 through 13, he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, speaking of John the Baptist. So this was connected to Malachi 3, 1 and 4, 5 where it spoke of the one who will come that will prepare the way, who will be the Elijah of that day. That is John. So both in the spirit and power of Elijah, John would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, recalling Malachi 4, 6. He would turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, Isaiah 43. And so the angel appeared to Zechariah to give a clear description of who his son would be and what role he would play. So how did Zechariah respond to this? The blameless, the righteous person, the one who knew the scriptures. Verses 18 through 23, the response to John, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I wish I was there. Well, maybe if I was there, I'd be afraid just like he was. But if I had enough sense, I would have said, bro, listen to him. Do you hear what he's telling you? You were praying for a child, and you're going to be given a child. And not only that, this child's going to be John the Baptist. You should be excited. Like you're tripping right now. But Zechariah, a righteous and blameless man, found himself thinking only in the natural. Zechariah knew the scriptures. He forgot the mothers of the Jews that were barren and given child. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and how they were barren. And how God had to intervene and bless them. He forgot that passage. Zechariah knew the scriptures. He was a study priest, righteous and blameless, yet he found himself lacking in faith. Which brings up a good point. 
Maturity and knowledge and conduct does not guarantee a life free from faults. It doesn't. If you advance in your theology and your knowledge of God, you should see more faults. That's how it works. The more you know about God, the more you don't know about God. That's how it is. Like, the more I dig into the scripture, the more I don't know the scripture. It's amazing. God is inexhaustible. He can be exhausted. So the more you try to dig into him, pray to him, and learn him, and that's going to continue even with the glorified body. I thought Zechariah should have been a well-studied man, blameless and righteous, good with God, good with men. Here's an angel telling him good news, answering a prayer, and he's like, yo, we're old. How is this possible? Thinking only in the natural. Not only that, he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God for that moment. God chose a person that he knew had fault. Still in need of God's help and forgiveness. So as righteous and blameless as Zechariah was, he was found with failing to trust in God. Let that be an encouragement to you today. Have you failed to trust the Lord? A lot of times. Yeah. Many times for healing. When we get a bad report from the doctor, God can. He can heal you. Do you believe? It's easy to sing of Jesus as our healer. It's another thing when you get that report in the hospital. Or if it's a terminally ill disease, do you believe even yet? That you can have joy all the way up until your celebration of you bouncing from this planet. I've seen people have joy. The angel Gabriel says here in verse 20, actually he says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. So the angel Gabriel appeared to him to give him good news that only, not only involved him preparing the way, John, for the promised Messiah, but Zechariah and Elizabeth, their prayers would be answered. But he lacked faith because he didn't believe in the words and then he was unable to speak. This is a pattern with Gabriel. In the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 8 and, and chapter 9, in the Old Testament, that's the only time we see Gabriel appearing. And then in Daniel chapter 10, you find a prophet unable to speak. So just pray that the angel Gabriel does not appear to you. <laughs> Zechariah, for Zechariah, this was done to discipline him for his lack of faith. Which again is surprising being that he was righteous before God and blameless before men. There's a quote Douglas Moo points out. He says, Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. In other words, when temptation is frequent, the avoidance of being tempted is not what shows maturity. It is the refusal to fall into it that shows maturity. Zechariah, should have, he should have fought against his doubts. 
looking at temptation and saying no is what God wants. And when God gives you good news to say yes, even if it doesn't make sense in the natural. See, when found with a situation that pulls on your unbelief and trusting God, clinging to Christ and believing is what God wants. This should have been Zechariah's cry to believe. But he showed that even in his maturity, righteous before God and blameless before men, he still needed God to help him. Thankfully, God is merciful. Amen? Amen. Thankfully, he helps us. And because he has a plan, the birth of John will take place. God will bless Zechariah and Elizabeth with the son, which is our last point, the birth of John in verses 24 through 25. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people which was customary at that time, actually, for a woman who was ready to conceive to seclude herself. So our text today, we see that God showed great kindness to Elizabeth by taking away the disgrace she felt for not being able to have child. And God chose, you know, I was thinking about this, like, God could have chosen a younger woman, like he did with Mary. But he answered a prayer and was compassionate. Not only to provide child, but to provide someone who will be called greater than anyone born among women. So what's the lesson here, saints? You could be righteous before God. You could be blameless before others. But you have flaws. Just like Zechariah. When you hear good news, Rejoice. Rejoice. I'm ashamed to say that I too have fallen short at believing and trusting God when it was clear that he provides. Very clear to me. But you know what? God continued to show, show kindness to me and my wife. When we came here to plant this church, we had no idea how it would happen. Yeah, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. It's so true. Like, we were asking questions, what if, you know, like, and what if it doesn't work out? What, what will God do? You know, like, a lot of people try to plant a church in the city of Lancaster. Lan Lan Lancaster is full of churches. We were asked one time, what are you going to bring different? And my response to that is, look, I f we feel called to come here. That's it. We just want to preach the gospel. And God provided. Zechariah should have said, yes, thank you for giving me this good news. Thank you for providing and answering our prayer. But he found himself doubting and was made mute until the time of John being born so that he could learn not to doubt God. See, God showed great kindness to Elizabeth by taking away the disgrace she felt, but also providing for their family. And God could have picked any other woman, like I already said, but because of their prayers and their desires, God responded and gave them a son for a reason. So I hope that 
this would encourage you today to trust in the Lord Jesus, to rejoice at good news, not to doubt him. If it feels like there's something in your life that you have not attained or you feel like God hasn't answered your prayer, be faithful, be diligent. You already know that your, your primary concern, your preoccupation is to ask these questions. Am I blameless? Am I in good standing with God? What are my faults? And if you complain, I hope God doesn't mute you. He could do that. He could shut you down. And he has at times. But he does it because he loves us. So, Father, I pray that you would help us today. Help us to understand that through Christ, we have been made righteous. Through Christ, we can serve and obey your commandments. And only in Christ can we find hope in our faults and weaknesses. Be with us today. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name.